0: Thank you for coming out to a stranger's house. I'm nervous to record I'm this podcast. Gonna. Yeah, it's uh, there's nobody here. It's just us. <laughs> it's not even plugged in. Um, yeah, you had <laughs> you had a treacherous journey to get out here. I, I appreciate you coming all the way from uh, from Englewood just to record with some guy you don't know.
1: That's the way driving is into the city these days. I, I take the risk, so I know the risk going in.
0: It's a big roll all of the good. dice, man. Yeah. I um, so the reason the way you came on this podcast or how you wound up here was I know your cousin who I know him as Abe. Mm. And you were calling him Jason because Jason is his real name, but just to the group that we were introduced to, he's always been Abe. Only
1: the real ones now.
0: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But he was like, he, I met him for the first time or like spent time with him for the first time in Nashville. We were there for the Taylor Swift show and he saw me like editing and working on the podcast. He goes, Oh, you need to have my cousin Ami on. And I don't know how he described you, but he's like, Yes, mm-hmm. Abe Abe's doing the work out there. He's connecting. He's networking. Finally, <laughs> helping yeah. out the family. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how he described you exactly, but he was like, "Yeah, he's got like a big Instagram account. He's a musician. He does impressions." And like, for those of you or for, for people who are listening and might not know your backstory, I know bits and pieces. Mm-hmm. Like, you started in music, but now you're in comedy and do stuff online. Like, take us through like kind of a high level overview of like where your life's been and what you've been up to to this point. Okay, cool.
1: Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. This it's is Ami Kozak,
0: by the way. I probably should have thrown that. What's out up, there everybody? Um,
1: You're I. I'm good. I'm good. Okay. Yeah. I um, I'm. S- I've always been a bit of a polymath in that you know I've been musical and you know been able to do impressions and all sorts of comedy stuff just growing up. But music sort of took the forefront for my professional focus once I. Graduated high school. I started in playing in bands early days as a teenager um, Those are my earliest sort of manifestations of creative endeavors was playing in bands Little jam bands together uh, in high school. We would get together. I get together with my best friends We'd write our songs together play concerts So I was sort of bit by that bug as the first thing I was singing as a kid in like choirs in elementary school started playing in bands in high school and continued to do that and As far as comedy goes, it was always just a social thing, Mm -hmm. you know, there wasn't really a professional outlet for that, Uh, music sort of lent itself to a clearer path, there was private lessons with a teacher who taught me how to play bass, Um, and then I began my first attempt at, you know, sort of uh, taking music as a professional endeavor by studying at the Berklee College of Music, so that's where I went for school.
0: Um, Did you have like a, a specialty there, or a specific instrument?
1: Yeah, well, my everyone at Berkeley has a principal instrument. I don't know how it is today, but back then, you do a focus on an instrument and a major. So my bass, electric bass was my principal. That's the main instrument I played. I took a little bit of singing there, too. And I also studied film scoring and songwriting and a bunch of other things. That sound cool. It's a little fluffy, but it, it was a good experience overall. Yeah. But that was me deciding I'm going to be a professional musician, composer, producer, songwriter. So... Dug my heels into that, and after school, I began composing for commercials, film, TV, whatever kind of opportunities I could get, and that eventually took me out to L.A., where I formed a band in L.A., and we began composing and producing our music and getting it licensed for film and TV and trailers. That band's called Distant Cousins. We're still active today, so we release original records. We produce for film and TV. We write theme songs. We've done stuff that's been in trailers, all that kind of stuff, and comedy— all this time was just kind of this neglected child. I wasn't giving it much attention because there wasn't really any sort of outlet for it other than, I mean, I was occasionally going on auditions for voiceover work because I could, you know, do all kinds of different voices, but that's really an actor's lane of like trying to go at that and that hustle of becoming an actor. So these, these areas of the entertainment business generally are related, but they don't really overlap so much. You kind of are in one lane and you're, Wherever you're putting pressure and exerting, you know, energy is where you'll get results. So Mm. that so that was music for me for a while. Then I started to post on um, social media and took to social media as especially TikTok. Uh, A little bit pre pandemic, like 2019, I began posting consistently on TikTok just to sort of test it out. TikTok was not a household name yet. It wasn't what everybody was on. It didn't take over the world, but it was happening yeah, Slowly. I first
0: heard about TikTok when Old Town Road came out. Yeah, because that was like, oh, this show, this song is huge on TikTok. People are like drinking water and dressing up as cowboys, and it's like, th- what? I mean, in my the back of my mind, I'm like I can be a little bit uh, tech averse sometimes. Mm-hmm. I just like immediately wrote it off. Like, yeah, that sounds like something stupid for kids, not so, what is going to be the primary po- comedy I, platform.
1: I was seeing random ads while I was taking a shit of like TikTok stories. <laughs> get on TikTok. It was this weird. Do you know what TikTok is? It was like when Facebook started. Are you on Facebook? It was yeah. like what What is that? The Facebook. Yeah, like no one really knew, but I was sort of early to it. Not one of the first, but before it was a household name. And I began saying, you know what? I'll just post whatever on this. Started with some music stuff. Then I started doing uh, just impressions, little bits, and eventually, some comedic content began to get some views, get some traction, and I sort of used that as a vehicle to grow an organic audience because everything else shut down around that time. It was twenty twenty, and then there were no more shows, and there were no there was nowhere to perform, and it was a really interesting time for sort of the TikToker comedian space. I was ready to go out and try to do stand up and do other things because i had been performing on stage as a musician for many, many years, and I was comfortable in that format. But stand up comedy was a a new venture, a new uh, approach to performing. Um, And then and then I just basically doubled down on doing a lot of comedic stuff on TikTok, which I filtered over to Instagram and YouTube. And have been able to grow an interesting audience, uh, you know, a sizable audience on the platforms. And it's been a really interesting ride. Once things started to open up, began to do more stand-up. And now I'm in that phase of sort of developing my act, doing more stand-up, eventually hopefully synthesizing the music and the comedy in a, in a, uh, in a way that works creatively for me. So I hope that answers your question. I think I went down a whole long whole rabbit hole there. but No, that's, that's yeah.
0: the perfect length of a rabbit hole to go down, yeah. I feel like. what um, If you don't mind me asking, what year did you graduate high school? Uh, like two years ago, I graduated. <laughs> uh, he's a, he's a young, fresh-faced comedian out there, everyone. Uh, class of 04. Oh, school. me too. Yeah, we're the exact same age. Okay, great. All right. So I think that's really interesting. That I mean, because you start with music, mm-hmm. but comedy's always there. And I love like um. You ever seen the Jerry Seinfeld documentary, Comedian?
1: Um, is that the what? Which one is that? Because I've seen on
0: Netflix. It's it's about like how after the show he drops all of his material and has to write a new act from scratch so yeah i Euro didn't 2000s. see
1: that one i'm sure i've seen clips of it because i'm so on tiktok and all the stuff that like all these little bits come my way yeah. so i've probably seen clips of that and i've been watching a lot of the seinfeld stuff like one of the things that was really uh influential for me as a comedian was listening to seinfeld on the tim Ferriss show he had yeah, an interview with tim Ferriss, yeah. and that was huge i was like it was one of those. I rarely have those moments where I listen to something in its entirety and really absorb everything from it. But that one, for whatever reason, I was like walking in LA and I'm listening to it, and I was like, "This is, it. you know, it just hit me."
0: There's two things from that that I specifically remember that episode where mm-hmm. he taught, and it's mo- both of them are about writing, where because uh, his daughter had to write something for school, and she goes, "I'll just, I'll just do it all tomorrow," and he goes, "No, you're not. Like, yeah. writing is the hardest thing imaginable. If you try and sit down and do it all at once." You're either not going to do it or it's going to be absolute shit. Yeah. And just like the acknowledgement of how like difficult the writing and creation process is was great to come from to hear from him mm-hmm. because he's this guy that's like known as a such a prolific, consistent day to day, like don't break the chain writer.
1: Yeah. The the craft, the discipline, all of that. He was very much really good about demystifying what the process of stand-up and creating stand-up comedy is as Mm -hmm. opposed to just you know you're watching it as a consumer as an audience all these years so you're always kind of behind one side of it like how is this all being done so that interview was sort of the first glimpse i had into somebody really breaking down how it's done
0: i know and i also love what he said about writing like his one rule for writing is you sit down you don't have to write Mm -hmm. but you can't do anything else And I think that's such, that's like freeing in a way, Mm -hmm. because I know I've fallen victim to like, all right, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to write jokes, and like, if you can't get they don't come out the right way, or nothing's really working, you get very frustrated. Mm -hmm. But if you remove that expectation of like, I have to sit down and write awesome jokes right now, it just becomes a lot more easier and natural. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But but you were saying about his uh, Netflix. Yeah, so I I brought up the comedian thing, because he was talking to Robert Klein at one point in there. And Robert Klein was like, so you were like the class clown. You were like the funny guy. And he goes, well, everyone was funny growing mm-hmm. up. Just everyone else went and got jobs. I'm <laughs> like the one guy who became a comedian. So it's like you have this like kind of aptitude or interest in comedy, but it's not a clear path forward the way like I go to Berkeley College of Music and then I, then I kind of carry it forward that way.
1: Yeah, I I don't know if I agree that everyone was funny back in the day. That's not quite true, and certainly Seinfeld wouldn't wouldn't say that. Maybe he, he meant like his friends, like you just yeah like yeah yeah. With your I friends, think, his, I think other, other funny kids were funny. Yeah. He meant because yeah. he's 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 so like you know he's, he's a, so, like he's a bigger no, misanthrope than Larry David yeah, like, is. I feel no, like. no, not everyone was funny. No, <laughs> no. I think he means like of the funny kids. Yeah, not everyone went and pursued it, but he just did. Him just, and his friends. I yeah, just they, kept going. Yeah, no, they're lazy. Um, or whatever it was. Yeah. I mean, for me, uh, I think just being funny was more a part of my identity and personality as opposed to a craft that I was trying to hone and get better at. Mm -hmm. And I think that was always my, not aversion to comedy. It wasn't as far as that, but not associating it with a professional endeavor. The way you know you pick up an instrument and you're like okay i want to get better at this instrument there are techniques that i have to do to get better at this i'm taking lessons i'm studying this with comedy all those elements apply but they're not as overt and talked about it's really abstract which is weird because once you get into the world of stand-up and stuff comedians are constantly geeking out about their jokes tags punches setups all these kinds of technical things but it's not as known and you don't go to school for comedy. the The real way to do it is to do it. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing that it's not as well, sort of precisely developed the way music is. But with music, use one of the one of the things that I think makes music, in a sense. I wouldn't say easier or harder. Just one of the differences in music is there's a natural barrier to entry with music. Yeah, not everyone can just pick up a guitar and just play the song that they want to play or that they want to hear that they want to recreate themselves. You have to go through this painful arduous process of getting the technical ability to do something that you want to do on an instrument or uh or whatever it may be musically. With comedy, everyone kind of thinks they're funny right. and everyone says hey, I could I could do that. So there's a much more unclear, foggy barrier to entry that allows everyone to kind of ponder it, try it, whatever, and it also I think creates this environment in which there's less of a clear educational or learning path to the craft of comedy. And once once you get past that and you get into it, you start to learn from techniques and stuff. But it requires a little more of a demystification of what's going on.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I think there is like a real – you have to learn technical skills. But mm-hmm. what's what's so funny is like – because, yeah, with a guitar, you can pick up a guitar and learn chords and learn yeah. plucking and learn all these different things. But like, I, I feel like with comedy – it's it's like learning a guitar, but imagine if everyone had a different shaped guitar with a different amount of strings. Yeah, and I
1: think because comedy and your comedic sensibility is so tied to your self-esteem and your personality and your sense of self, it, for me, was always something I just didn't put in the category of something I could pursue and develop as a craft. And one thing that makes the brutality of comedy a little easier... <laughs> To digest? Yeah, great adjective. That's a Seinfeld quote, actually. There's a certain brutality to comedy. Mm -hmm. That's why he relates only to comedians, he says, because there's a certain brutality. But one of the things that makes that more palpable to get through, or to get through a bomb or rejection, is that it's not that you were bad, but the jokes were bad, or the jokes didn't work, or the set didn't work. But once you can properly, psychologically, remove the set, the act, the jokes from yourself, just like you tried to play a song and you couldn't play the song, they rejected the performance of the song if it didn't go well but not you once you can it's harder to do that with comedy but if you can it makes your relationship to it a little healthier
0: yeah i mean yeah healthier i think is the right word cuz that's yeah. something i've certainly struggled with because it is such an individual pursuit and you're mm-hmm. sharing these things directly from yourself it's hard not to link your identity and your your comedy success together and that's something i've had to fight through even i've heard like football coaches talk about like like, the, the former head football coach at UVA, he said, like, you know, coaching, it's what I do. It's not who I am. Mm-hmm. So if things go wrong on the field, it doesn't mean I'm going to show up at home in, like, a worse way.
1: But an audience perceives it differently, too. It's mm-hmm. just the way it is. The audience, I heard the actor from, I think he's... Uh, one of these like classic Italian actors, I'm forgetting his name, but I saw a clip of him on a podcast. He's like, I could never do stand-up. Oh, I could never do it.
0: Sebastian <laughs> Maniscalco. It wasn't. No, Sebastian is a stand-up. This <laughs> yeah. guy was saying, I could never do it. You know, yeah. it was,
1: I do a character people don't like. They hate the character. They don't hate me. They hate the character. They don't like the writing. They don't like the movie. But when you get up on stand-up and they don't like you, they don't like you. Mm-hmm. So people identify the craft and the jokes with the comedian too. And that leads to all sorts of unique issues in comedy. For example, if... if If Dave Chappelle was playing a character in a movie that was controversial, people would say, oh, that character was controversial. The movie was edgy. But they wouldn't say Dave Chappelle himself meant the lines he was saying Mm -hmm. in a literal way. But when a comedian gets up there and makes jokes, people kind of assume that it's that person meaning the jokes in a genuine or serious way. Or these are like genuine opinions. And he's not just trying to create a comedic scenario or a joke or a punchline that's what they're
0: trying to do like that guy's an asshole
1: or you write a song with weird characters in it that are not likable people say oh well it's the song people give that sort of leeway that understanding with comedy people confuse it people get confused so i think it's important for the comedian especially not to get confused like i'm writing material here and if the material is working needs to be refined and people not laughing at something or things not working is just an indication to me that something needs to be refined and made better. That's it.
0: That's a very healthy perspective. And it's probably, it, it's probably helped by the fact that you pursued music for so long and mm-hmm. kind of have that, that sort of separation of like of self and art. Cause mm-hmm. when you're a comedian and you start out, like it, it's, it gets all bound up together and mm-hmm. it's, it's like unlearning, behaviors or unlearning modes of thought where it's it's if it's so tangled up it really requires a lot of work to to pull them apart
1: yeah well music is like an interesting cousin of comedy there's a lot of similarities and or like a sibling of comedy there's like a timing dynamics rhythm understanding audience dynamic how how to make things breathe how to slow down uh understanding your way around a stage just general performance and it's definitely given me that. Um, and when you do a great comedy set and a great music set, they almost feel very, very, you know, feeling-wise, as you're delivering it, very similar. Like a great comedy set feels very musical, you know? You're like, set up, set up, set up, pause, punch. Same with music. Tension you know? release. Tension release. All that kind of stuff is there at sort of the optimal stages when you're doing one or the other at a, at a comfortable level mm-hmm. where you can sort of transcend the technical parts of it, but you're feeling like you're really in it or outside of it and you're just in the moment um at the same time you know music offers a certain level of protection to that the performer yeah there's a certain mystery to music since not everyone can play it, like at the barrier entry that i talked about it's like you're not as audience dependent as you are with comedy you know the music can exist sort of separate from how the audience is responding to it obviously you want people to be into it but if you get up there with your band or by yourself or whatever and you play a great set if some people were into it, some people were not, it's not going to destroy you. You mm-hmm. you played a great set. You did what you were supposed to do. You were tight. And with comedy, you know, they let you know right away if it's a success or not. It's dependent on how the audience is reacting to it, in a sense. So there's exactly. much more of an immediate give and take. Uh, plus, with music, you can rehearse... Before anybody is
0: watching you, you're ta- you're taking all the questions out of my <laughs> yeah. mouth as I'm about to ask them. Yeah. So yeah, and with comedy, you just can't. You need the audience to rehearse, and I think that creates a lot of um, problems that can make comedy extremely difficult. Because it's again, it's not like you can just play your guitar in your room for two or three hours and work on that and wake up better the next day. For, for comedy, you have to leave the house, ride the subway, Oof. go to the open mic, wait around for an hour, hour and a half. By it's,
1: far, the hardest. The, the uniquely hardest part of stand-up comedy over everything else mm-hmm. yeah yeah is that
0: uh, gary goldman said that too where it's like the right the actual sitting down and writing is only like 40 to 50 percent of the whole thing like everything else happens testing stuff out on stage
1: going to the bottom of the barrel mm-hmm. night
0: after night <laughs> see. and
1: also you know something can y- you can be going into a live set at a real show having done stuff at mics that bombed yeah and then it kills so the inconsistency of how a bit works can't get a read on stuff sometimes if you hit a wrong note in a music set like nobody gets offended mm-hmm. they're like ooh. Or whatever. Maybe, the they, don't even not know. maybe they don't even notice. The wrong but thing. The, the idea that you're taking certain risks with comedy um, to like getting people actually upset, that's risk. That's rough. And the fact that you have to run material in front of real human beings in all sorts of different scenarios and it's context dependent is by far, I think, requires a certain amount of bravery that other art forms maybe don't possess in the same to the same effect. And just
0: endurance, too, yeah. at the same time, like the, the f- to physically will myself to get out the house and walk to the four train. You know, that, can, yeah. that can be, that can be tough. Mm-hmm. So you go to Berkeley and then after college, are you like immediately like scoring stuff with your band? Like, have you ever had like a, like a day job, an office job? Any, or is, is art always kind of paid the bills for you?
1: I, I started out of school. I was, uh, I was like my first gig. It was like economic crash. of I graduated 2009. Yeah. You know, same. So I didn't even know what the economy was, but that's all, you know, everyone's like, but the economy. So I just started saying that line when I couldn't make any money. Oh, the economy. In this economy. In this economy. What's the economy? I don't know. That's where I thought I was supposed to end up after school to start making some money from doing work. Yeah. Um, so I was fortunate to have some, like, my family was help was supportive when I first started and I was just an intern. Basically it was like grad school, like continued education, but instead of paying for college, I was interning. Right. And in those early months before I was able to make any like money at it, I was just doing anything I could to get my foot in the door in the early days. You were in LA or New York? I was was in New York. Okay. And I started working at a music production company. That did mainly commercial stuff because still, like, the Jewish kid in me was like, I'm not going to be a performing musician. <laughs> <laughs> I got to do something that's like, oh, I produce. Music for ads. I work in advertising. I'm in the
0: economy, the yeah, real business I, I'm economy. in the economy, so
1: I had to first of all, for like for practical reasons too, I was like not going to perform on Shabbos. I'm, you know, I wasn't going to perform on the Sabbath, and I wanted a family life and a normal life. So being a road musician was not really that path. So I did, I did the 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 stability aspect of it appealed to me, and the fact that it could work with um, a more traditional lifestyle. I was into that, so I was pursuing composing and producing. After a few months with this company as an intern um working a few days a week, just doing whatever I could, I eventually started demoing on commercials and you get like fees to submit little pieces of music for that and then eventually i um I like did a thirty second demo which turned into a song which was one of their biggest ad campaigns ever oh, like, no in terms of the budget and in terms of the reach. it was a national ad campaign for san diego tourism and i Got that. And once I got that, it was a very validating thing. I'm like, okay, I am a composer now. I can do this. I was able to get this. And on the heels of that, I moved to LA and began expanding and working with other music production companies and doing a lot more commercial work. And then I started seeing in the commercial music world that they're not just getting custom music made. They're licensing songs from artists, from independent artists, right? which led me to form the band. And we started working on actual full length songs to license for things like that. So
0: So I kind of learned about this whole process. Through something incredibly stupid, through mm. selling Sunset. Have you watched that show on Netflix? No, it's uh, it's basically Real Housewives but real estate mm-hmm. and every song on there is, like, the goofiest, silliest, like, I'm that bitch and I do all the money, yeah. and you know, like that kind of stuff. I'm like, what yeah, are that these? one's mine. Yeah, uh, <laughs> sh- fuck. Uh, but it's like, what are these songs? Where are these coming from? And right. then, like, I, I read an article about it. It's like a lot of these songs are just written for the show. Or, right. like, they're written with the express intent of, like, licensing out to, to yeah. a show or uh, a movie or something. And, like, I was not – Aware that yeah, there's like a
1: whole world of uh, music for picture, so there's different ways that, that music arrives on a particular scene. If it's a reality TV show, oftentimes they're using big music libraries that are aggregators of tons of different tracks that people submit. I've worked for some of those and worked with some music editors who've used some of my instrumental tracks in like the Kardashians. Nice. You know, like they're driving along. He's like, so Kanye. Land like transition music. So like there's mm-hmm. stuff like that. And people who focus fully on that, they really try to like just, it's volume. They're trying to get tons of music out to these different libraries. Um, there's music production companies like the one I started interning for that will send around briefs like looking for such and such thing. For a Cadillac commercial, um, Nike's looking for this, and you submit a piece of music uh, and you'll get a demo fee for that. So you do enough of that steady work. And then I was doing, I was playing events, I was doing whatever I could do. Honestly, my standard in the very beginning was if I can get paid to sing or make any kind of noise musically, I'll take it. And that was the, I was saying yes to everything studio yeah. work, session work, uh, live events, performing, gigging. Um, and you do, which again, the hardest part of any creative, uh, pursuit as a career is this, is stability. You want to be doing cool things and interesting things, but few and far between are stable gigs, you know? And as I've been in the game longer, you know, one of the things my band is doing now is composing for film and TV, uh, like long form series. So we have a show coming out on Netflix, um, this month actually, which is an animated series and we've done all the music for it, all the theme songs and the score, and and uh that's exciting too because it's an interesting field and once you're when you're you know even within the music industry and within the music for picture there's different lanes there's feature films there's tv series there's um licensing your songs theme songs there are all these little areas so we're you know when you get to the point like i was lucky that once i started getting into comedy i already had like 10 years into the music industry so Mm -hmm. that was a like i had an had a day job that I was passionate about and a side hustle that I was passionate about. So that's, that's, that's how I was able to I mean, to th- yeah, build that, that is up. the dream.
0: So, did you feel like that over time, once you kind of built up this volume of work, mm. there was like a sense of stability, even though you're in a creative field? It's like there's enough of my work out there, enough of my work in these libraries, enough of these relationships built that I can, you know, not coast, but mm-hmm. I like at least takes kind of a weight off of your shoulders.
1: I think of it more like you're. You, you have to farm, you know, like you're a farmer when you're in these industries where you're seeding and plowing and preparing and building relationships and eventually at some point it rains yeah. and all the work and effort you put in over a certain amount of time starts to, oh, look at that opportunity that came up and somebody remembers you for this and then you get this and that leads to more opportunities and more farmland and then you seed that farmland and then it rains there. And over time, things compound a little bit. I wouldn't ever call it stable, just like farming is never fully stable because you don't, you can't control the weather. You can't control when projects come to fruition. Everything almost happens. There's a lot of that where yeah. you're close to this. But if you're putting in a lot of the time into forming the relationships and then showing up and delivering really good work, and you know, in the beginning, it's really about doing the best work you can and getting referrals and good reputation with different people – if everybody's hustling in this similar apparatus, whether it's on the industry side, somebody who's developing a show who's hustling to get that show made and then remembers you because they worked on you with this show, everyone's sort of rising tide lift all boats, but I wouldn't call it stable. It's rocky, but it's, you know, you know, with time, it gets a little more steady because there's sort of an active momentum that's going on. And you can Does kind of like, sense?
0: yeah, I, I think so. And you can like build a reputation for yourself as being reliable. Like, yeah. even when you were coming over here and you were running late, you were like in constant communication of like, hey, right. this just happened. I'm this far away. I'm like, I, you, you don't get that with uh, a lot of creative people, with that noobs you, or whatever. Not, not noobs. even with, noob, yeah. yeah, but just with a lot of creative people can be very like flighty and non punctual and non communicative. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, as I was getting in sex, I was like, this guy's like a, a professional. Oh, Just because well. he's.
1: Impressive that I can make that impression while running late. But there's a maybe maybe I'm late sometimes, yeah. I
0: feel like. Yeah, yeah, I was
1: just trying to check in. But I, I, I think it's, it's developing that, that kind of rapport and those sensibilities. Uh, my biggest advice for people just starting out is it's not your skills that come first, it's your um, ability to connect and form relationships. Like, yeah. those things, like, people have to sort of buy you before. The skills are necessary, they're just not sufficient. You can't just like send an email saying, "Here's my reel. Here's my tracks. Listen to how good they are. I just worked on this boom and hand out a card, hand out a, C- oh, a CD, I'm dating myself." <laughs> Whatever it is, you can't just throw Flash, like right? flashy cool stuff in front of people. That's rarely mm-hmm. how it works. Generally, like I would say any industry probably, but certainly in the arts, it's it's first about forming, you know, real relationships with people and making an impression on them as a human being cuz a lot of the time, it's not like the the best drummer. There's a lot of great drummers who get a gig or good comedians or whatever, but oftentimes it's 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 being really good at a certain level. At a, The talent sort of like levels out at a certain point where everybody is competing at a certain level. And then after that, what's that last 5%? It's who's a good hang, who's fun to be with, who's fun to work with, who's eat, all the other stuff, who stays in contact at the running late, who mm-hmm. shows up on time, who's got good rapport and creates a good environment for a creative collaboration or any kind of creativity. Those are the people that I think have the most, uh, long-term success,
0: you know, uh, early gonna and long-term. I'm yeah. going to say something that's like a little slightly name droppy, but like when the week before I moved to New York in 2012, I was yeah. working at a comedy club in DC called the Arlington draft house. And I was opening for Neil Brennan. Mm-hmm. And I asked him, I was like I'm moving to New York next week. What advice do you have? And he yeah. said to me, he goes, um, worry about winning over your peers before you win over the audience and mm-hmm. I didn't quite get that or I didn't quite I don't know if I didn't believe it or didn't want to listen to him but like he was 100% right where if you do well on one show like that audience isn't really going to get you booked on any more shows it's going to be the other comedians who are on the show or run other shows or produce things or recommend you for stuff mm-hmm. like that's really the, f- the f- your peers are the first audience that you have to win over and I kind of wish I took that to heart a little more when i when i like first got here i think that's might have be in a put me in a better position
1: right um well in what sense did he mean he means like when he says win over your peers is he talking f- uh, from a stand up comedy perspective or just from a relationships perspective i think
0: both i think your peers have to think you're funny yeah. and your peers have to like you um but i think again the liking somebody um can take precedence mm-hmm. Even, like of course there has to be a bare minimum like if you're absolute dog shit on stage they're not gonna re- recommend you for stuff or book you on stuff but mm-hmm. if you're like good enough and they like you then you get opportunities for stage time which leads to opportunities for improvement mm-hmm. and then you become more than than good enough you know right, what
1: I mean right I, I think it's it's mm-hmm. all a social game at first like the way the foot in the door is social like mm-hmm. I think a lot of those early emails I sent when I first started was always flaunting my credentials and trying to show off that and when you do that you're really revealing that you're new and you have very little experience i just graduated from such, such with a degree and this and this and here's my real i look forward to hearing from you there's nothing human in that email it's very robotic yeah um or when you're meeting people like it's very easy to tell when somebody's if somebody you know what what's the phrase i don't know if there's a precise phrase but people who are busy aren't really talking about what they're up to very often uh, and people who aren't busy ducks on a
0: pond like the, the ducks you, their their feet go very fast under the water but you don't see their feet moving
1: right right so yeah. there's that the, but the, the 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 idea is that like people who have a lot going on aren't so quick to necessarily talk about it they don't need to they have right. a lot going on they feel confident they feel like confident in their abilities and what they're up to so they're not dropping immediately, uh, you know. But if you meet somebody who doesn't have that much going on, uh, a good sign of that is like, yeah, yeah, I got all this stuff going. I'm so busy, man. Got this project, <laughs> and like, and I'm working. And they start name dropping, like, not like what you just did. That was different because you're telling an authentic story of something that really happened that was informative. But gen- you. and you didn't drop it right away. But no, I'm, I'm not, I'm not being t- trying to be too hyper judgmental about it. But yeah, yeah, and i are getting this involved, and you know, no, be hyper judgmental, I've been hyper judgmental. No, and, and, and slash is like maybe inv- like they're dropping, na- you know, I'm just I'm making shit up. But you're just like okay. But you kind of can tell. So the idea is kind of know where you stand, be open, be curious, and it's a social game. So like, try to form real relationships. Talk about things that like you might have in common with other people. As far as uh, you know, like I started having more success reaching people cold by opening with, uh, oh man, just got back from the West Coast. Like I, I, I'm totally, you know, visiting the. You know, I'm gonna be on the East Coast next week. I got to get my seasons in. I, I love, I love a good hoodie it's the fall i miss the fall so much having lived yeah. on the west coast i saw you lived in la a couple years how's it being back on the east coast they have kids and you have kids you could talk about that like that's most of it and then at the very bottom of an email or something like you mentioned anyway i saw you were working on this project i actually love what you did on this would love to chat more about it but the in but the, but the beginning of it is all about like human to human connection and that's the first thing in because after that then somebody's like okay anyway so like um, it's like dating, you know what I mean? Imagine walking up to a girl and like, you know, you're um, you open with like, you know, I have this job. It pays this amount of money and I can actually really support you, I think, in a comfortable way because I'm able to do this and this. I get certain amount of vacation days and I'm able to walk. they would be like, Ugh, it's, yeah, that all come. They'll find all that out later. But like when you're like in the dating phases,
0: like, you know. I've had to learn I Gotta that work from on the Riz from the r- That's right Two thirty. I'm so Gen guys Talking about the Riz Riz uh, I've, had th- I've had to learn that From day jobs Just the importance Of like opening up With a happy Friday Like yeah. my, my soul dies Every time I type it out Yeah And everyone like Oh yeah you say happy Friday Or mention this Or like this and that it's like wh- Why why do I have to do that It's like apparently it works Nobody likes it Nobody wants to do it But it just It just kind of is Yeah What it is in that kind of That situation
1: And this is like Early stage advice I mean like These days I don't have to do it As much much oftentimes it because i put myself out there so much yeah. when it comes to social media that it provides a little bit of uh like an ease a lubrication to like you know people don't i don't have to explain myself as much anymore yeah
0: like the background is already
1: igdms or somebody right if i have to access somebody or whatever like they've commented or liked or engaged and l- that comes from the payoff of a lot of output of mm-hmm. content and putting out creative work constantly with n- with no expectations, you're just putting it out, and that helps too.
0: Yeah. So I think what's interesting, because um, again, we're the same age, grew up in the same mm-hmm. time, so we are part of that like millennial generation where we remember life before the internet, yeah, and life after the internet. Have you always been like very tech forward? and, like, leaned into that stuff? Because, personally, I've I've been averse to it. It's taken me, like, a long time to kind of come around. Um, I've maybe been a little too attached to, like, old ways of doing things. Like, was, so, y- you know, you were an early adopter on TikTok. Was that, like, kind of par for the course for you?
1: I That wasn't my, like, label. I wasn't, like, the tech-savvy guy who mm-hmm. was on top of every latest thing. Uh, my first Mac I received as a freshman in college, and my girlfriend at the time was now my wife. She had to, like, show me what the desktop was and like where files are like, how does this work? How does a computer work? I was like, I was illiterate on it. M- I I knew word muncher. Remember that super muncher. Remember those old games? The name sounds uh, familiar. Uh, <laughs> like I played a, a couple games as a kid
0: on a computer. I'm having like a, that's uh, so Raven flashback. Yeah. 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 A like... little go earlier.
1: Word muncher. <laughs> it was very satisfying. You'd have to munch words that rhymed. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Microsoft Word for typing. That was, I I knew how to like (laughs) get on and write an essay for school and print it. That was computer for me. And flash forward to today, I'm like an Apple certified in their software for music production. You know, there was a time when I was like, oh, I'm going to have to like hook up with somebody who knows how to like use all this techie stuff. I was very technophobic in college. I was very much like, I am not an engineer. I am not that guy behind the thing. But this, at this point, like flash forward to today, I have mixed records and engineered and done all these things. And now I video edit like crazy. And I was not one of those either. Mm-hmm. Um, I was not a, like if there was a time when I was like, I'm never going to be able to film and do video editing. I'll have to get somebody for that. So I think I've learned over the years to not label yourself as one thing or not another thing because you're only not something until you are until you start doing it. And diving in through the painful process of learning a new skill, and then all of a sudden, someone's like, "Hey, can you do? Can you show me how you edit your videos? Can you show me how you mix this record or whatever?" And You're like, "Oh, I guess, I guess I'm that." So I've had many imposter syndrome cycles, you know, over the years. What in shifted technology. exactly and made you dive headfirst into that stuff? I think it was just necessity. I had to, like, in order to, in order to make music for commercials, I had to learn how to record it and produce it properly, otherwise I stood no shot. Um, these days the expectations, because the technology is there to deliver what sounds like a finished record ready to go on the radio, There, there isn't an expectation that you send a demo that's just you and an acoustic guitar and then you get it to an engineer and a label gets involved and you flush it out into a full thing. In the 90s that's what it was like because nobody could record at home. But now with the technological tools available, you're expected to be able to do everything yourself. So I had to be able to If I wanted a piece of music on a commercial, it was like, hey, demos are being submitted. 30 seconds, a 30 second track. It has to sound like this
0: and this. So I go, "Okay." it's got to be ready to be on the Cadillac. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: So that's what that's what it is. So I had to learn how to make it sound that way. Um, And I took like one class my last semester of Berkeley, which was called Production Techniques for Songwriters. Probably one of my most valuable classes because it was just basically like you're going to record your own original song. And you're going to record all of it. You're going to do all the engineering. You're going to record the drums, the guitars, everything. You're going to record it, mix it, and have a finished song by the end of the semester. And that got me a little bit familiar with the software. In school, you have to learn, you have to use GarageBand or something to record, basic stuff. And then the same process happened with film, where I started using iMovie, then uh, you know, evolved up to, graduated to Final Cut, and then in doing content with my phone, um, one of the biggest, I think, Benefits of TikTok and the TikTok uh, sort of wave was and the craze of TikTok was for a long time I was averse to making YouTube videos because everything on YouTube was so high resolution it was so
0: like looking music videos. Yeah. Aside you from really, like you had to really invest in like the heart. And right. I was like,
1: I don't know how to use cameras. I'd have to hire a video guy and all these like, especially I was trying to do it on behalf of the band. And we were trying to figure out how to like get our presence out there in the social media space. But everything I was seeing was so high resolution. Then TikTok comes around and says, eh, no, nope, a hand and Vine. Mm-hmm. Vine and TikTok was like seven seconds with a handheld phone is getting you more organic reach and getting you real people that look at your stuff and can showcase what you do. Than some fancy video shoot. So once I was like, hey, that that barrier to entry is gone. People are responding to the organic stuff. I have no excuse anymore. And I never wanted the reason for my lack of success in any area to be on me.
0: Mm -hmm. Like you didn't try. You didn't. Like
1: you didn't. Yeah, I didn't want it to be something I was in control of, and be like, well, I should have just done that. That's the answer. And the reason I didn't do it is because it was too hard, or Mm -hmm. uh, it was a drag. I don't want to show up for it You know it, it would be, I have to be As long as I'm doing Everything I can do Then the rest is up to the rest you know.
0: So then what made you Take that leap And, and sign up for For TikTok Just kind of Taking a shit on the toilet And seeing an ad for it Like mm-hmm. like Were you able to visualize It as like an avenue To kind of like express Some of that, that comedy stuff That you had put on the back burner Like Or more focused on music Like well, What made a, you make a, that jump It was a
1: long shit You know So I had a long <laughs> time To think about it um, But Quality time on the job I think it's a it, I think for me, it was like posting consistently. My goal with TikTok was the, the thing I'm going to do differently here is post every day as opposed to trying to nail and get virality. Like okay. As opposed to trying to aim at going viral, which is what everybody is trying to do all the time. you know. And until that point, it was like, let's try to make a video around the holiday season so I can like get that algorithm and get that trending hashtag and you start overthinking and go viral. And and let's try to do something in this that's trending. So it goes viral and let's try to make this kind of video with this kind of thing, using this hit song, using old town road. So it goes viral. And I didn't think about that stuff. I was just like, my goal here is as long as I make one video every day, five days a week and I don't miss a day like a habit, Mm -hmm. we'll see what happens. Um and I wouldn't say that I go as far as saying I, I I didn't care. It was just for fun, but it was more on the just for fun, playful, experimental side than other endeavors where I was really trying to like either get a song on such commercial or such this. It wasn't as honed as that. It was just let me try and be consistent with it and see what happens. And eventually after a few months posting every day, five days a week, I took a break on the weekends, but I would post at least once a day on TikTok. I posted a video of Gary V. Uh, an impression in the car. I was doing all sorts of impressions. I wasn't like, I'm going to only do Gary Vee videos. It was just, uh, I was sitting in my car and I had done Gilbert Godfrey, Bernie Sanders, some music stuff, some beatboxing, some live looping, whatever, maybe. Then I was sitting in my car one day and I just threw up the phone. I was just like, I'm just so sick of fucking 20, 40 year olds, right? Like complaining that they're not killing it. Like, if you want to win, fucking move to Louisiana and start a fucking peanut butter brand, right? Like, like, right? So I'm like, Holding my phone, I've told the story a bunch because I was like, eh, "I almost didn't post it. I was like, I could, I could work on it better. It's not great, but like he showed up on my for you page, so I was like, let me try. A, I was like, let me try a Gary U, um, A Gary V post, and I threw that up. And then I had like what a lot of TikTokers have had in their moment, which I like refreshed, and it was like five thousand views. I was like, whoa, yeah, like a thousand, five thousand, refreshed, ten thousand, every. 10 seconds. Whoa. Refreshed. 15,000. I was like.
0: <laughs> and you could feel <laughs> your brain like being rewired in real time. A li- hundred percent. I, I just could, flooding. Oh, a
1: hundred percent. I was like, what is happening? I could feel that. I come home, 20,000, 50,000. The next day, 150,000. So the most viewed thing I've ever had. And uh, before that, maybe one got to 10. I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah. This is you like, can't see the whole number. You yeah. just see a number in thi- a K. Yeah. And, and this is like 150,000 by the next morning. And by the weekend, like this is a Thursday, and by like Saturday night, I check it, 500,000 views.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And like comments and things. And like I'm like, what's happening here? And then on Monday, I got a message on Sunday from Barstool Sports. And oh, they no said, way. are you the originator of this video? We'd like to feature it on our page. That gets shared to, like, 7 million people, like, 7 million followers yeah, on the box. Yeah, that's huge. And this guy's like, this guy's literally Gary Vee. It's one of those reposts. And I gave them the video, and they shared it. And Gary V. like, commented on the video, like, ha this is too good. This is the first this first or second video I did imitating Gary V." And I was like, the power of TikTok. Holy crap. Like, I posted this from my car at 4 p.m., not thinking much of it, and... A, four 3 days later the guy i'm impersonating who's a high profile guy is commenting on it and it has and it's been seen by millions of people and i'm like what on earth is this and that was the rewiring of like tiktok instagram youtube twitter they're, they're not the commercial for what you do they're the show right like these places are the show that's where people are going to watch and consume not to go be promoted at not, hey, come check me out here. Come see this, check this out. They want to be entertained here. And I'm like, I have my own television channel now. Mm-hmm. That's how I, and within a few, it, basically my TikTok went from like a couple hundred people to a few, like 2,000. Same with Instagram, around that number. Same thing happened with like a Jordan Peterson impression I did on, on YouTube. I, I threw up like a t- one minute video from my car and went inside. And I got to like, a, you know, 700,000 views. But again, I had been posting a ton. So, like, I want to stress that it's not like I'm aiming at the virality as much as the consistency that made me a frequent user and guest in this space. And, uh, like, you know, I'm at this club regularly, the TikTok social media club, this digital club. And because I'm a regular here, I have been able to amass, you know, um, an audience. And then on the heels of sort of those viral clips, somebody reached out to me who said, like, another creator uh who's had a had success and grown a following on instagram was like i have some advice if you want it lean hard into the gary v thing because you might think everyone's seen it already but you only made one video like if you it's hard enough to find like your hit song that works like lean into it and i was like oh that's good advice i was ready to like do all sorts of other stuff and i basically said how much juice can i squeeze out
0: of the gary Vee impression <laughs>
1: so i squeezed a lot of juice out of it and eventually as much
0: juice as you can out of gary Vee
1: Eventually, I debuted VCon last year with Gary V on stage. at VCon. Yeah, and another uh, friend, comedian, Nima, uh, impersonator, who was doing, like, bits, too, and I wrote this opening sketch, and we did it together with Gary at VCon, and everyone knew me there. Everyone, thousands of people. I was like, this is wild. This is the power of social media.
0: That is nuts, and I hear it, like, in that story, I hear kind of a similar thing to what you were talking about with, like, music and licensing, where it's, like, it's not intentionally sitting down to write the hit song. It's just volume, volume, volume. And then one of them hits, and then every, it's like a cascading effect mm-hmm. like on, onto, onto everything else. Well,
1: like anything, I think it's more like creative fitness. In anything you're doing, the more you do it, and the more time and consistency you put into it, the better you will get at it. So if you, for people who post and say, yeah, hey, it didn't really work for me, I'm like, how, many, how much did you post? Mm-hmm. It's like somebody saying to me, I went to the gym for like a week, but nothing happened, so I stopped <laughs> going.
0: wasn't shredded nothing
1: happened my body didn't change i'm like well if you did it for six months to a year you'd all of a sudden find out from you'd see a picture of yourself without a shirt and you'd be like whoa i didn't even realize what was happening Mm because i've been doing it daily i didn't even notice and all of a sudden you realize by comparing yourself to like what you look like six months earlier a lot has changed it's 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 creative fitness songwriting licensing content creation practice and consistency Gary has a phrase because everyone's like, oh, it's not good yet. Nothing is going to be good when you start, but quantity leads to quality, not quantity over quality.
0: I agree with that, and it's uh, but it's also very difficult because when you're in it, it's, yeah. it's hard to see the change. Yeah. In the same way where if you look at yourself in the mirror every mm-hmm. day, you don't really notice the differences. But right. yeah, if you can kind of take that sort of, we long range view, yeah, yeah, so that's yeah. It. that it's hard to see it when you're in it. Yeah, it's hard to, and then and then you, you can easily you can easily be discouraged because you, you think nothing is happening and you're not seeing it. It's hard to have a real third party macro view of,
1: of the of the trajectory for exactly. sure. Mics after mics after mics and bad shows and this and that and whatever. And all of a sudden you find yourself on one set and you're like, all right, I'll go up. And you're like, Every, in an uncomfortable. I just had a gig where I. It, I think traditionally would have been a pretty uncomfortable scenario for doing stand up, but because I've been through all of them in a lot in like over the last year and a half, gone through tons of uncomfortable scenarios to do comedy, mm-hmm. whether it's a mic at one in the morning and you're exhausted and everyone's ready to leave and you thought it was a full room and then by the end Nobody <laughs> like wants two, to listen to it's comedy. like two comics left and you get up and you do your set then, then you know. You, you you It begins to answer the question for you, man, how, how do you get good at comedy and how do you get better at it? I'm not there in it by any means. I have a lot of a ways to go. But when you've been through all of that, like getting up in so many scenarios, you just become very resilient to all sorts of environments. And uh, you realize it and discover, I I'm getting a little better at it,
0: you know? Yeah. It's like there's like certain aha kind of light bulb moments on the way to kind of yeah, and then you look at your
1: first video and your most recent video, you're like, whoa! I don't even realize that I frame it this way. Now I have a ring light and all that. And that's why, like, as far as gear, like, get things one at a time and really learn each thing as they go, as opposed to like getting a bunch of things and then you'll never use any of them.
0: Yeah, that's like me with this like the podcast stuff. Like, I started filming and posting videos last year, and I like taught myself Final Cut Pro from the ground up. Yeah. But I wouldn't be able to do the things I like with all of this—the the recorder and then you know the the camera and then the editing. Like I wouldn't have been able to put all that together for this podcast without six months previously in Final Cut, like you, like just bit by bit, skill by skill, exactly. sequentially. Exactly. Um, you mentioned something at the beginning. Like, do you see yourself merging the comedy and the music together, like like Bo Burnham style, almost? Like, is that like a, a goal for you going forward?
1: Yes. Definitely,
0: because
1: my strategy or approach to developing as a comedian was to first take all the music and put it here for a second uh, and continue performing music, but let me develop my abilities as a stand-up alone. Because if I, if I did it too early, I felt like the music would become a crutch for the comedy because I'm so much more comfortable as a musician. So mm-hmm. they're so uneven in terms of skill and comfort. That I wanted to, I guess, prove to myself that I could just, I could get up with a mic and do stand-up. Like, I wanted, and I still want to continue to prove to myself that I can do it in various scenarios.
0: Find the voice.
1: Find my voice. You know, your cadence. you this and that. It's so strange and different in no man's land, and it's a whole steep hill to climb. So I wanted to demonstrate that to myself and develop that skill so that when the time that they come together, like, I have a good sense of both, and they both complement each other as opposed to one carrying the other. Yeah. Um... So but at at a certain point, I think for me, the ideal fusion of the two, would the ideal like set for me would be both because then you don't want to get like self-defeating and say, well, that's just music stuff. I'm going to keep that here. And this is comedy stuff like why not fuse them together to, to make something unique and cool and different?
0: They're both live and online um
1: both live and online sure uh but it's, but with 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 some of my online stuff i do like more uh, you know it's i'll post stand-up clips once in a while but i also do like impressions and sketches like
0: i really like doing online sketch comedy which okay. is a different thing um but you wouldn't do like again i keep going back to like Beau Burnham and inside like yeah which to me is like such a foundational text and like yeah, one yeah. of the most amazing things i've seen in the past yeah. five to ten years But yeah, like where songs that are like very melodically sound and like well put together with like with that kind of comedic twist, do you see yourself doing that with like you know short reels? Yeah, yeah.
1: I'm working on. I've done funny songs. I've done some parody stuff more recently over the last year, Um, and I work on material, and I'm in the process of working on material of like taking premises and either writing a joke with it or a song with it, and kind of seeing how that works because it's kind of similar Mm -hmm. when you write a song about a funny thing, and I just think I. Fortunately, because i have the musical background can develop a funny premise or a bit and songify it if i want to you know the way bo burnham does where mm. he has songs that are good songs but they're also really funny i know and they have setups and punch lines and everything and i i can i see it i see it in my head what that looks like so i'm in that process right now of like development actually you know? like making it
0: come to life yeah and
1: i can do live looping too so i have a whole setup at home where i'm like looping in real time and if I put that on screen, what I would probably do is just make a special and then chop that up. And yeah. that would be what that is. Inside was the product of not being able to perform. So he made this whole beautiful piece. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, on the his technical
0: own. finesse for me is like maybe the most impressive thing about that special because you watch parts of it and you're like, how did he shoot and edit all of that together? Like you, you almost want to know like how. Like the real behind-the-scenes, technical how-to. Yeah, Inside is a
1: masterpiece on multiple levels. Cinematically, cinematography, music, comedy. So it's a whole bunch of things. Mm -hmm. And that's Bo Burnham's absolute genius. So I definitely draw from him as inspiration. Reggie Watts, um, Jamie Foxx, Childish Gambino. Jamie Foxx
0: is an underrated stand-up comedian. Oh, he's incredible. And he's
1: done... And he, he is integrated... Certain musical stuff in some of his then. Him you singing watch some the, the Brady Bunch theme? Yeah. Like, yeah, just If you watch the old specials and stuff. So I, I identify with polymaths, people who are, like, equal parts music and comedy. So I had to fuse the two. Um is a goal of mine creatively and for me it's just about putting in the hours and the time and testing it it's harder to test that on an open mic scene showing up with a rig and yeah, a guitar. you can't bring the loop pedal to like all that stuff but there are ways you can sort of do it i've found some spaces where i could like get a half hour of time and like work something out and if i headline that mm-hmm. when i headline at a specific place like that will certainly be a part of it like mm-hmm. there's no question i've Built been doing songs within my set like after, a, 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 with enough time of tight 10s, 7s, 10s, 15 minutes, whatever, now I'm starting to sneak in within a set some kind of musical element, whether I'm I'm just singing a cappella but singing the song, seeing how it feels. Yeah.
0: You know? But you're like, yeah, you're like growing Just so it, it, it doesn't
1: get technically complicated, because if you're like on a lineup of five comics and a headliner and you bring a setup, I mean, it just doesn't really work technically. No. So, yeah. But you got to rehearse it, so how do you do that? So... <laughs> I think eventually it's gonna come down to me booking the show before, just before I'm kind of ready to do it, and then like meeting the, just like I had to do with all the software. Yeah, just like grow into the moment. Yeah,
0: exactly. One last thing I wanted to ask you. Yeah. I I watched your the episode of your podcast with Kathy Heller, mm-hmm. and I thought you know she's someone who's very like dialed into like the business side of show business. Sure. And I I, I kind of saw you on that episode, not like pushing back, but just kind of like really trying to figure out the right mix of. Show and business, mm-hmm. like 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 at what point does catering towards an audience or trying to meet some financial end compromise the art, so like where do you fall or what are you, what are you thinking about in terms of like the the right ratio of show to business in like in like what you do?
1: oh wow, that is uh a constant debate that goes on in my head because. I probably always lean a little more towards Kathy's viewpoint on it, mainly because it gets you out of your head when you're making stuff. Yeah. You know, and oftentimes the biggest battle in creative endeavors is against yourself. For a songwriter, I I met Kathy in the music scene as she's a songwriter as well. And sometimes people just get stuck in their own self image, their own brand, their own style you know creative thing as opposed to taking themselves out of it and saying okay what what can I make this for and there then it informs whatever you're making in such a like less pressurized way like you can make it if you're making a song for a commercial like if you're you know you exist in this state of creative chaos like you can make a song or a joke or whatever about anything so like where do you start that's like the hardest place to be you're just like let's just use a song as an example like I could write about anything Okay, well, maybe let's write a song about, you know, like there's a Philadelphia cream cheese commercial and has a certain aesthetic, has a certain brand. It's about a certain, you know, it's aiming at a certain target audience, a family, young. The second you start to do that, you're not compromising. You're just informing what this is going to be. And then you're like, oh, okay, family, young family, little kids. I'm already hearing instruments in my head. I'm already starting to hear what the what the track could sound like. Already starting to hear melodic ideas. It just it shuts the noise off of it could be about anything too. Hey, maybe this can be about you know, not Philadelphia cream cheese literally because oftentimes a brand doesn't want like a jingle <laughs> like smooth like butter, but it's cream cheese. You know, they don't want that, but they want not too the literal. they want the vibe or the aesthetic that's going to work with the brand. The so, cream cheese vibe. So maybe it's about like when we get together, spread the love, spread the love, spread the love. I'm making up, but one of their things was uh something about spreading the love. Mm-hmm. That's the idea. So like that's the hook, spread the love. You come up with the idea of spread the love, you're like, "Oh, that kind of works." Like and it works with the with like and it doesn't it, have to be it, and and it's specifically a play on words. in a cream cheese and then, commercial. Yeah, and it doesn't it can work independently, but immediately you're just like, "Oh, the pressure's off. I've arrived at something that I think is resonant as a song and it's going to work with this product and for this ad." But it took that ad and that brief and that information to get you to inspiration, to get you there because it took you out of the chaos. So I tend to think that's a very healthy way to look at it. By the same token, at a certain point, you don't want to think too much about what somebody else wants from you if you're not inspired by it because you could get lost in that too. And then you're gonna, it's self-defeating because nobody... It's like when you're engaging in a relationship with a consumer, but even just... A, human-to-human relationship. Imagine if you walked up to somebody and you said, okay, here's what I'm going to offer you. Whatever you want. (laughs) Who do you want me to be? I'll be whatever you want me to be. That's not... That's not a value add it's that's a, not that's not somebody anybody wants to hang out with no. you want to be somebody and you want to have something to offer somebody but it's a give and take and and it's like if you're if it's a romantic relationship there's a give and take there of how you get to know somebody more intimately and is it compromising when you're kind of making adjustments to how you engage with that person no you're you're finding that balance if you give up too much completely and you're just nothing and you're just an imprint a canvas for them to be for them to sort of Manipulate you into whatever you want. That's a toxic relationship. Yes. If you're completely selfish, that's a toxic relationship too. I will say, with the advent of social media and the ability of creators to build up their own niche audiences, it's gotten a little bit easier to just not think about the audience and just make what you want to make and see how people respond to it. But again, like how people respond to it can inform which direction to go. If you're if you're just interested in the process of creating, of writing, of writing songs, of making comedy, of making jokes. You know, the comedian gets up um, on stage and he does a joke and nobody laughs. That's information. Mm -hmm. And if he rewrites the joke and then gets the laugh, did he compromise? Did he or she compromise? No.
0: It's dialogue.
1: So did did he did he sell out when he rewrote the joke for and he probably made it better? Because if the goal is really connection, then uh, otherwise you could write jokes to yourself and make yourself laugh all day. And that's fine. But if you're trying to do something else, which is connect and communicate and make an impact then you're thinking about the person on the other end of it.
0: It's like uh, I read Rick Rubin's book a couple right. months ago. But the thing about, yeah, constraints are sometimes like the best thing for a creative endeavor. Right. Just because, again, you, you box things in. Or if you don't give anything any kind of shape or form, then it's like, what the hell do you have?
1: Yeah. And Rick Rubin says a lot of beautiful things about the creative process. He's not really giving c- career advice as much as right. he's just talking about what space you want to be in when creating and what you want to be thinking about. And I don't disagree with him. I don't think these two are at odds. But career advice, creative endeavors as a career advice, is very different. It's not one-to-one. You know? and, it's not and, and a lot of his stuff that I see going around and the ideas, I think, in his book and stuff are useful, I think, for priming you to be creative. They're a different thing than someone saying, okay, how do I get this song to this place or reach this type of audience or write in this type of style? Like the more precise technical advice is both are useful, spiritual and sort of technical. Yeah. That makes
0: sense. I know it does make sense and it's a very difficult line to walk and it's yeah. a difficult thing to express but mm-hmm. it made sense the way you say it. Uh, Ami, thanks for stopping by and for making the trip out and fighting through the traffic. My I really pleasure. appreciate it especially when I'm on my way to not ang- like ten fly New Jersey later tonight. I'm mm-hmm. We could have communicated that more clearly. But oh, cool. glad, glad you could have made it here. Oh, You're just telling me that now. Something <laughs> that could be brought my attention yesterday.
1: That's all good. Well, tell me about you for a second. What are you up to?
0: Uh The podcast. Yeah, um, you know, not much. I not much. <laughs> <other> <laughs> no, you know, I'm I,
1: working with Rick Rubin and working with. Uh, yeah, I do no, know, but like Slash is involved. Your uh,
0: story with comedy and yeah, I've been what? doing stand up. I mean, the, here's the short story. Uh, been doing stand up for 14 years. Have. Growth is stalled out. Mm-hmm. Uh, juice is is really not feeling like a, it's worth the squeeze at this point. Yeah. So I'm trying to make a huge jump forward, or I'm just gonna leave it behind. So mm-hmm. i have kind of give myself to the end of the year to make a living in comedy, but really what I want is just to feel like I have more a more full, fruitful career mm-hmm. and like stand up calendar. Honestly. Um. And if I if it doesn't go forward after this, I'm never gonna like stop writing stuff or doing stuff. Mm-hmm. But again, that physical process of like getting out, going to shows, having to like network and like scratch and claw for stage time. That's like really kind of worn me down, Mm -hmm. especially like as my wife and I like plan on having a family in the Mm -hmm. future. I can't um, serve two masters at once. Have you had any
1: indicators of like, you know, trajectory going forward, like good shows, opportunities, anything like that?
0: Um, I mean, like the feedback I've gotten on the podcast has been good. The numbers Mm -hmm. have been like steadily increasing. Nothing's like too crazy, but like I've gotten like people, you know, with more, like, careers and more followings as guests in the podcast. Um, So, like, the the profile of the guests is starting to increase. I feel, even if it hasn't reflected in my calendar stand-up-wise, I feel like my approach to writing and the way I show up on stage is different and more relaxed because the feedback that I keep getting from other comedians and other performers is, you overthink this career stuff too much, Mm -hmm. or you overthink, you know... If you just invest too much of yourself in it, it's not fun and it's going to suck. Right. So at least try and decouple that and, I guess, maybe show up a little more authentically without these overarching concerns.
1: Yeah, the hardest thing is to not be too results-focused and more Mm process-oriented, which is, it's better to be process-oriented. As long as you're just doing what you want to be doing within this area, you're succeeding in a sense you're writing you're creating you're doing a podcast you're showing up you're performing and over time as you exert more energy and effort into that you'll inevitably improve and get better and obviously results do matter for anyone who tells you hey forget about what happens just do it like you need certain anchor points i've been so
0: process oriented for years it hasn't really led me anywhere Mm -hmm. so that's why like i've shifted strategies that's why i started posting a lot online last year because i've always been very averse to it but i finally just kind of gave in and did it and I have been getting certain types of enjoyment out of it. I enjoy right. the technical process of recording, editing, putting stuff together. I think that's a skill set that yeah. I have, so I found that which is, has been nice. But yeah, like that's kind of why I've had this like huge result focus this year because in the past it's been kind of put on the back burner to my own detriment. Now the right. question is, how do you balance focusing on the results without letting the results themselves that they're negative. Like, fuck you up. You know what I mean?
1: Well, you know what? I think what ends up happening is oftentimes, because you put in so much time, like, things that will surprise you will reveal themselves to you in terms of, oh, well, all this time I thought I was pursuing this, but it turns out I was actually just building a skill set that made me good at this. So all that stage time made me really good at podcasting or made me really good at writing or covering, whatever it may be. You know, I I don't like to go in this direction, but like the universe or whatever kind of reveals that. Oh wow, you know, I didn't know that all the time I was spending here, I was perceiving it as a failure, but it was actually a priming prepping stage for something that I was doing here. And the skills I learned in the stand up world, even though it didn't lead to a quote successful stand up career, led me to be very, very good at this. You know? That's
0: what I another thing I thought when I was listening to your podcast with Kathy Heller, mm-hmm. like I'm I'm starting to make peace with the fact that like, yeah, maybe like stand up isn't the thing I was supposed to do, even though it's the thing that I wanted to do. Right. But it leads it. I've certainly developed uh, a skill set doing this. Mm-hmm. I've certainly developed as a person doing this, like emotionally, mentally. Every yeah. I've had to be become more patient, mm-hmm. um, more uh, forgiving of myself and others. Yeah. Um. And so even if. I don't get on stage again or stand up doesn't happen after this year like it will have positively impacted my life and I think it'll carry forward into right. whatever it is I yeah. do next. I, I would so. like it if, you know, I could carry forward into stand up, but yeah. that's might not be what's meant for me.
1: Or it may surprise you. You may take 2 years off and take the load and the pressure off and then all of a sudden weird things happen. Yeah. I don't know. It's not a guarantee and I don't want to like just you know, I think, you know, people talk about manifesting and I'm imagining all these kinds of scenarios, but you've been in the grind a long time. So who knows but showing up and putting in and exerting in in the creative pursuits of the next chapter or whatever or in this one um I think reveal surprising results sometimes you know yeah we'll so. see what
0: – check in in two years when I bring back the podcast where is he now people yeah. Yeah. Um, thanks for coming on. Where can people find you? Tell us about the podcast, your bands, and we'll have all the links in the, the comments too.
1: Sure. On social media, you can find me at AJ Comedy, also known as Ami Kozak Official on Instagram and YouTube, AJ Comedy on TikTok. The podcast is called Buckle Up with Mike and Ami. It's with my co host, Michael Weber, Weber, who's a screenwriter, and the two of us, you know, just kibitz, have conversations, have fellow creatives on, uh, talking about comedy, music, uh, life all sorts of things. So that's a nice conversational podcast and we've been having lots of interesting guests. So that's called buckle up with Mike Konami found everywhere podcasts are. And my band is called distant cousins, indie folk pop trio. Uh, We used to all be in Los Angeles together and now we're spread out around the country, but we're still performing writing and producing and you can find us at distant cousins official.
0: There we go. And uh, I'm getting better at this. Smash the like button, subscribe wherever it is on the screen here. And uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you guys soon. Take it easy, everybody.
1: Thank you.